And I shoot my shot, it's the wild way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you were with me shooting in the gym? Wrong nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine circus. And you can live through anything if magic made it. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is a guy, Marcellus Ease. And don't panic quite yet. Now, we got a lot to get to for this week's quick hits. First of all, we're going to talk about RJ Barrett slowly creeping up and trying to take that 1A slot, especially with Julius Randle struggling. We've seen in the past few weeks, RJ finally taking command of the offense. And of course, we'll break down that Cam Reddish trade layer by layer because all parties involved in this trade are kind of in a similar situation due to circumstance, not due to skill set or who could hit the highest ceiling. But due to the circumstances to which both players went into teams in which minutes are limited and also we'll take a step back and look how previous nick regimes in the front office have failed guys like kevin knox and frank nilikina and speaking of mega fails we're going to talk about some of that negative energy that comes from about 10 percent of the knicks fan base particularly that weird instigating energy that's coming at some of these games in the garden I know some of y'all been seeing it. Let's cheer for Obi while Randall's on the court, or let's cheer for RJ 10 times harder than Randall, even though when Randall's playing well, it's, it's weird. It's a weird energy that's coming from a small percentage of the fan base that likes to wear paper bags over their heads, sell their fandom on eBay, do all kinds of fuck shit. We're gonna have to simmer some of that down and examine some of you clowns, especially when the team is trying to figure out what they're doing at point guard and we're struggling to have at least a center who can score or just have guys healthy at the center position. So Randall's kind of getting the brunt of the blame of what's going on right now. It's kind of weird, but we're going to examine some of you clowns. You Stephen A types, when one thing goes wrong, you throw all your cards up in the air. Get the fuck out of here. And we'll also touch base on a Jeff Van Gundy interview where he talked about the Knicks. He always has a unique perspective on the team because he looks at the Knicks from a unique position of just team building under the scrutiny and pressures of New York, a.k.a. Van Gundy stressed. Also, we got to talk about Spike Lee, man. <laughs> Some of that cheering that he did for Stephen Curry at the Garden, we're going to talk about what that was all about. Spike Lee out here clout chasing, man. Last but not least, we'll touch base real quick on Chris Heron's book, Blood in the Garden. And that man deserves his flowers for the job he did with that. There's a lot of behind the scenes stories with the Pat Riley Knicks. And overall, this was done in good taste. No clickbaity shit, just stuff that was verified by multiple people. I gotta give a man his credit when it's due. This is really well done. So with Cam Reddish now being on the Knicks, I'm gonna start a new series called Can't Knox the Hustle. And this will be volume one. And the reason why I'm calling it this is because in due time, without both these teams making drastic moves, we'll see that Knox for Cam Reddish will almost be a wash due to the circumstance, not skill sets of each player. And we got to kind of break this down layer by layer. 
because there's a lot of domino effects of this trade it kind of puts pressure on other guys to perform so they can get their payday versus cam getting his it also kind of opens doors for leon rose to make more moves as our bench is pretty long we have a lot of guys on this roster and minutes are going to be scarce and also kind of puts pressure on tibbs let's see how he manages the rotation now cam reddish's situation in atlanta was very similar to knox now i'm not talking about the skill set i'm just talking about the team being crowded up and just the overall fit wasn't really quite where they thought it would be now for those of you that are watching the video version as you can see cam reddish's career stats and just his overall three years in the league his first season was during the bubble season which you know it looks like a typical rookie season but the key thing is look at year two 2020 2021 season that's when the hawks went out and got a lot of free agents so this team changed drastically and as you can see he only played about 26 games so a lot of new guys came into the roster and he was injured for most of the season so he didn't have any time to gel with the new expensive pieces on the roster guys like clint capella they made the trade for brogdon they signed him through free agency and same thing for gallinari and let's not forget while he was hurt guys that were already on the squad started making names for themselves guys like deandre hunter kevin hurtier who also earned a contract after last season and also john collins which he also earned a contract so not only guys were earning minutes and making a name for themselves they were actually also getting paid so this is one of the reasons why cam reddish eventually wanted out and to my fellow nick fans this situation should sound very familiar because we've seen the same thing kind of play out with kevin knox we went out and got brand new guys we drafted brand new forwards we started paying guys and eventually the writing is on the wall you can see yourself getting phased out so with that said the knicks do need a guy that could potentially fit that three and d role at the number three position that's where cam reddish comes in and the hawks due to the fact that they play a lot faster than us as far as pace because we're dead last in the league in pace them using a guy like kevin knox who could shoot from the perimeter doesn't really play defense as well but their pace kind of makes up for that he kind of fits into what they do well and kevin knox was asked about his fit in the hawks and he specifically talked about the pace of play and that's not ironic once again the knicks are dead last in the league in pace kevin knox here welcome to atlanta thank you, thank you. well let's start there the opportunity for a fresh start a new start what are you looking forward to most about joining this group and what you think you can bring to the table uh yeah i mean they, the offense is great i mean they play at a fast pace and that's kind of something i've loved doing pretty much my whole life i mean in high school college i always love to play fast and and then the open floor so i know that's something that they do really well here and uh just really getting to play with a lot of talent on the team i mean so i'm just really looking forward to getting pushed getting a great opportunity to get to know the guys and just really building chemistry so pretty much for his whole basketball existence Knox is used to playing on an open floor and with pace and that's got to be a blow to hit the professional level and be on a team that's consistently at the bottom tier among all NBA teams in pace but now he gets to be in Atlanta where not only do they play fast but they play with a familiar face that he's used to playing with aka Trey Young and this is very similar to Cam Reddish and RJ playing with each other now in the professional level in the nba it's like that saying one hand washes the other but they both wash the face and we're seeing that exact scenario play out right here 
Well, I think, again, I read that he said something about looking forward to playing with an all-star mm -hmm. point guard. So does that mean you and Trey, you you looking forward to getting out there with him? Kind oh, of yeah, 100%. Me and Trey have known each other. We've played against each other since our freshman year of high school. So we're really good people. Um, my family is good family, uh, good, close with his family as well. So, you know, he's a great point guard. I'm really looking forward to, you know, just playing with him, learning from him, and getting an opportunity to play next to him. Did you say freshman year of high school? Freshman year of high so school. So that would have been Oklahoma. Uh, Is that right? He was in Oklahoma, but we played a lot mostly on the Through circuit. Through AAU and stuff. Okay, yes, I was going to say, that does it. Okay, I yes, got it now. Yeah, I was in Florida, so he was in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, so that's more, a long way to go circuit. for a high yeah, school most, most of the circuit. <laughs> So you guys see how scary it is that Cam and Knox's situation is very similar. Both guys playing with guys that they played with before. I mean, Knox knows Trey Young so well that their families know each other. And we'd even get up to the minute situation that's going on with both players being on their new respective squads. The Hawks run a really tight rotation. And if you look at Cam Reddish on the Knicks, you could easily name nine guys that's going to get minutes before him. And we're not even talking about Derrick Rose coming off an injury. We're not even going to include him. You could look at Randall. Evan Fonier is going to get minutes over Reddish. Alec Burks, Noel, Kimball Walker if he plays. RJ Barrett, Toppin, Quickly, Grimes, Mitchell Robinson. I mean, you just look at this like, wow, there's only 48 minutes in an NBA game. And you already got easily nine guys that's going to be eating up minutes. Where does Cam Reddish fit in all this? And I see some of my fellow Knicks fans were actually surprised that Cam Reddish played five minutes against the Clippers and that he got a DMP the very next game against the Cavs. That should not surprise you. That's how limited the minutes are. There's not enough minutes to go around like that. And that's even before Derrick Rose comes back. And some of y'all might be thinking, okay, maybe Reddish could get minutes at the four or just a different position outside of the perimeter. And that's not going to happen because he's not a really a good rebounder. So best believe he's not going to be competing for minutes against Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson, and the other forwards that we have. So that's not going to happen because he's not that kind of rebounder right now. So as of right now, Kevin Knox for Cam Reddish, it's looking like a wash due to the circumstances of each team, not each player's actual skill set. And to be honest, a lot of the Nick fan base, especially being on the East Coast, is stuck on that NCAA Duke promotion of Cam Reddish. A lot of you guys are living off of that. You guys love his name because of that. And that NCAA free marketing and promotion that they give a lot of players before they get into the NBA, that's a underestimated thing that people really be overlooking. That shit is very powerful. I mean, look at Zion Williams. But Cam Reddish, best believe his name before he got into the league, he was a big deal, especially even in high school. I mean, just listen right here to one of the best shit talkers in the NBA, Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves, talk about Cam Reddish's reputation before they got into the league. Who the hardest? Who the hardest person you had to guard? Be honest, man. Come in when you're freshman. Oh, Cam Reddish. Thank. I told you. Everybody gonna say. Everybody gonna say Cam. Everybody gonna say Cam Reddish. I ain't gonna talk about that though. Cause he was trying to cook. I ain't trying to violate with him. Bro, he gave me forty-four. When did he give you forty-four? Forty-four. How many gave you? Shit, anybody gave him more than mine. 40. I mean, he well, he didn't give me 40. He gave, like, the person who guard him, but Ooh. I'm still on the team, yeah, so yeah. I'm a part of it. I ain't even what you gave him, but it was more than 44. <laughs> 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 nah, I can't raise different, bro. He different. Yeah. different. Yeah, he different. Well, once again, just to put things into proper perspective, a lot of the Knicks fan base, a lot of their hopes and angst about Cam Reddish really comes from his reputation before he got into the league. It's not really what he's done while he was in the league. 
just some of that branding and promotion some of these players get coming up from the amateur circuit it's it can be underestimated it's, it's really unreal and the NCAA is pretty much the Don King of it all but one thing my fellow Knicks fans that we got to take into consideration when we get past the hype is that upcoming extension that Cam Reddish will be eligible for next season and with us already having a tight rotation and just so little time in between him and his next extension it's either we're gonna pick up his team option and let him become a restricted free agent or this leads me to believe that Leon Rose might have other moves up his sleeve before this year's trade deadline. Now we got a deep lineup with a lot of young players at the end of that bench with some potential, but we don't have minutes for everyone. And when you combine that with two of the first round draft picks that we have, along with Detroit's second round pick, because that team is not gonna be a good basketball team going forward. So that second round draft pick, it might be valued a lot higher. When you combine all these things, we could be making a move to get RJ and Randall some help because having just all this potential and his good young talent on the bench, but a limit of just 48 minutes a game, it just doesn't make any sense. The Knicks aren't really in a position right now to be going into the draft over and over and over. They have enough key pieces along with draft picks and young players like RJ who need key contributors around him. They're in a nice position to keep moving up and making trades. That's why Leon Rose and Worldwide West is here with all their connections. There will be no need for the Knicks to keep crowding up that bench with first round draft picks. We're not gonna be able to pay everyone and fit everyone in a rotation. And it's about time now that we see the magic that Leon Rose and World Wide West is gonna work on them damn phones. Now this season, a lot of us was excited when Kimball Walker came back home to NYC to see him play in the garden. And just, you know, the smiles and just the overall feeling that almost all of us have growing up in New York City, dreaming of playing in Madison Square Garden. And it's very unfortunate because this season for what he does really well, which is the three-point shooting, we exactly don't really need that right now from Kimba. We need him to facilitate the offense, to create for others. And just right now, it's looking like he's not gonna be a good fit for the Knicks, whether he's in the starting lineup or even if he comes off the bench. Either or, it's not gonna work. And we're beginning to understand why when Tibbs had first benched Kimba Walker early in the season, why he said he was completely out of the rotation. First of all, Kimball Walker in his first 27 games has only gone over five assists three times. So he's not even running the offense. He's mostly shooting good from three. He's about 40%, which is really good. But just because he's doing good in that category doesn't mean it's a good fit for the team. That's not his role in the squad. And the incision of him into that starting lineup has been creating a confusion in the pecking order since day one. And this was a great topic that we discussed on my live show, 8th Avenue Conversations, no shame plug. You guys could definitely check it out and participate in the show when we go live. But definitely there's a confusion in the pecking order and started in the beginning of the season and it's affecting RJ and Randall's game. And now we're beginning to see RJ kind of get back in his stride and start taking over and becoming that 1A guy. Because we could see in RJ's month of November, it was just a major slump, especially for a guy that was drafted number three overall. And we've seen Julius Randle at times look clunky himself because not only he's dealing with the Knicks not having offensive threat at the center position, so that allows other teams to crowd up the lane and block him from getting there, but he's also dealing with Kimball Walker not really setting him up. I mean, Randle for the season has more assists than Kimball Walker. Once again, out of Kimball Walker's first 27 games, He's only had more than five assists three times. So not only he's not facilitating the offense, defensively, especially in transition, Kimba's a liability. 
and the Knicks overall as a squad is sitting at the very bottom at transition defense. But this Kimba situation does have a domino effect, both positive and negative. The positive side is that quickly has been stepping up. And we've been seeing it. He's been making plays. He's been penetrating, getting great assists. And it's very noticeable and his defense has been up especially in the perimeter which is very surprising so quickly has definitely taken advantage of some of these minutes that are trickling down coming from kimba and of course the negative side which completely outweighs the positive side is that it's creating holes in the starting lineup see when tibbs has to now replace burks for kemba he's now putting burks in a new position that's sort of way above his pay grade you see burks he flourishes when he has to come off the bench and have to create new offense he's not that guy that's going to be in the starting lineup trying to get guys assists and other guys going burks right now is playing out of his place and it's very noticeable midway through the season now and finally the biggest domino effect of this whole kimball walker dilemma is the inconsistent play going from quarter to quarter and we see it play out with the poor performances particularly in the first quarter and in the third quarter which has to allow quickly to come in the second quarter and create that spark same thing for the fourth quarter all these fourth quarter comebacks and we've seen it play out really well when kimber recently just made his comeback against the t-wolves which he only got four assists the ball movement was kind of clunky once again and the same thing played out against the pelicans julius randall looked completely stuck in that game but kimber walker only had two assists and of course the very next game the knicks played against the clippers and just forget about the Clippers not having Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Look at the ball movement. Guys were getting up shots and scoring according to the flow of the game. Nothing looked forced. RJ and Randall were cooking at the same time. And if you see all the buckets that they were getting, it was in stride. It didn't look like the Russell Westbrook show, which is, it's your turn, it's my turn. It didn't look like that. Everything was flowing in one smooth transition. And I think it's so noticeable now that Tibbs has no choice but to make the adjustments and we've seen it play out in our most recent matchup against the Cavs. Once again, a horrible first quarter and third quarter but quickly, quickly got in there and not only did he have more assists than Kimba, he actually played the whole fourth quarter while Kimba and Evan Fonier were on the bench. The situation is very unfortunate but this Kimba thing is just not going to work out. Not only his knee is not consistent, the team offensively is just not consistent with him on the court particularly the team stars, which is RJ and Julius Randle. And hopefully the politics do not come too much into play here where they're trying to get Kimball Walker starter minutes just so they can increase his trade value so they can get something back for him. Because that's a dilemma in itself. I don't see the Knicks being able to get anything valuable or even decent for Kimball Walker, not even from a championship bound team. So this could begin to start getting ugly because Kimball Walker is looking like he could possibly get a lot of DMPs going forward. And I would hate to see the hometown kid go through this. But at the end of the day, we took a gamble on you. Two other teams did not see the value in having you there, especially OKC doing a buyout when that team normally do not do buyouts. They're very conservative when it comes to money. The Knicks took a gamble and they got to live with it. I think it was a very good calculated gamble because it didn't cost us that much. But at the end of the day, we all understand that the New York media, especially the ones that hate James Dolan, aka the Daily News, they're going to go ham on the Knicks about this Kimball Walker DMP slash benching. But no player is bigger than the logo and it's going to cost you the investment you made in RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle 
the next two years with Kimball Walker. Being that his contract is guaranteed, I smell a lot of DMPs coming forward and a very awkward ending. Speaking of awkward situations, Julius Randle has now put himself in a catch-22 by upfront confronting the small portion of the Knicks fan base that trolls. They are by far the loudest, but him just acknowledging them upfront in the media, he's kind of put himself in a catch-22 because this very small portion of the Knicks fan base really gets off when they get a response. It's almost like adding fuel to the fire. And y'all know which portion of the fan base I'm referring to. The ones that will go to the garden, and wear paper bags over their heads. The ones that'll be cheering for Frank Nilkenia for MVP. <laughs> Yo, they love Frank, man. I don't know what it is, man. I don't know what it is. But yeah, when you hear shit like that, you already know it's all for reaction. And they get off on that, but they are very loud. In fact, they are so loud that one time even James Dolan had to give a response. There was a person by the name of Evan Perlmuller who sold his fandom on eBay for $3,000 because he was upset of how the Knicks were performing that season. Of course, he was clout chasing because he quickly did an interview with a Lakers jersey on talking about why he sold his fandom. But he ended up selling it on eBay to a guy that was just trying to get clout for his YouTube channel. That's what I mean by a lot of these guys, man. They're just looking to be seen. That's pretty much it. But we got to sort of destroy these paper bag Knicks fans that come to the garden looking all stupid, trying to boo players. This little trolling shit it's only a small percentage of the fan base, but we got to kick that shit out because these type of Stephen A. Smith panicking Nick fans, we don't need them in the fan base. They're straight up disgusting. And I'm just seeing you already. I'm disgusted with you. But I got to ask myself, why did Julius Randle have to respond with the whole thumbs down thing? Because before, a few weeks earlier, he said that he didn't really care about what people had to say. But then all of a sudden, he had to have a reaction. And it's just like, damn, man, why? Why? But then again, I got to take a step back and look at last year's playoff series against the Hawks. I mean, in Julius Randle's eyes, he's got to be looking at it like, damn, I put in work for over 70-plus games, playing great against good teams, bad teams, had an excellent season, but then we got to the playoffs, and we had injuries at center. Nerlens Noel had issues. Mitchell Robinson didn't play in that series, and then we were so strapped at point guard that we had Derrick Rose looking gassed in the middle of the series, and that kind of led Julius Randle kind of being stuck. He easily got double teamed and the Hawks started crowding up the paint because there was no real threat down low, especially with Taj Gibson having to play at center. So the Knicks as a whole squad, it was limited. And he had that one bad series because of it. And the whole fan base just turned on him like that. He's got to be feeling a type of way about that. It's almost like you mean to tell me you could be perfect for almost a whole season and have a bad series even with RJ disappearing, they didn't say nothing about that. They just picked on me like, damn, I'm telling you, Julius is feeling a type of way because of that series. He's like, this fan base is willing to throw me under the bus over a bad series where we just had limited options on our roster. I don't know. I feel like that left a sour taste in his mouth. And best believe all these players, they have egos, man. And I know he's looking at RJ like, damn, this dude disappeared in this series. But just because he's homegrown talent, they're not going to say nothing. And now RJ is in the middle of a contract year. And even though he had a bad month in November, nobody really said anything. But as soon as Julius Randle has a bad game, everyone notices. So he understands the fans are picking sides. 
and RJ Barrett slowly is kind of positioning himself as the alpha leader of this team, especially on the offensive end. And once again, like I said, all these guys have egos. And in a social media era where criticism follows you everywhere, I'm wondering if it's starting to get to Julius. But once again, the toxic portion of the Knicks fan base, which is a very small percentage, but it's the loudest. We got to get off that whole pinning RJ against Randall shit. Because you can sense it at the Garden, just the way they cheer for RJ versus Randall. It's, it's, it's a bit off, and it's mad divisive, and we got to get rid of that shit. And that same trolley part of the Knicks fan base is doing the same thing with Obi. They're trying to cheer for Obi 10 times harder than Randall, and they're trying to pin them against each other. It's weird. It's a weird energy. That shit is off. We got to get rid of that. Because once again, no player is larger than their logo. It's about the squad. And once again, all these guys have ego, every single one of them. You can't get to that level... Of being in the league without it but i'm just wondering with the combination of all the criticism randall is getting and some of the trolling from the fan base with the combination of rj this season establishing himself as the 1a apex predator of this team is causing julius randall to be off balance because the homegrown talent is starting to establish himself it happens just because you're the highest paid guy doesn't mean you're the 1a remember in the NBA now, the contracts go according to how long you've been in the league. So Randall, I believe being an eight-year veteran, of course he's going to make more money than RJ. But at the same time, that doesn't change the perception of that contract. Because the perception is by most of the fan base and media members is that Randall's getting paid the most, so he should be the 1A. So you see right there, there's the dilemma. Randall has 1A pressure but he does not have 1A perception. Nobody perceives him as being the 1A of this squad, especially with RJ's play post-Christmas. Yeah, it's a lot to take in, man, and it's a weird dynamic right now because the team still hasn't addressed the point guard issue and the issue at center. Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel, these guys are always in and out the lineups. You know, back-to-backs are kind of iffy, and offensively, these guys are still a bit shaky. So a lot of issues that we had last year in that series against the Hawks, they still have not yet been addressed correctly. They have been addressed, but they haven't been addressed correctly. So the answer was to get Kimball Walker and Evan Fonier, and then the Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens Noel issue is still kind of lingering on this season because it's not like it's really vastly improved from last year. So it was always important to take a step back and look at it from the player's perspective because at some point, Randall got to be thinking when is the Knicks front office going to address some of these issues because it's clearly affecting his game so James Dolan got to take some of that Illuminati protection off of Leon Rose and the media and have Rose speak up man and address some of these issues and some of the misses that happened this past offseason especially with that Kimball Walker gamble as we're seeing right now it's looking like it's not going to work out now with Julius Randle's ups and downs this season We've slowly seen the ascension of R.J. Barrett becoming the 1A for the Knicks. And we definitely got to clap it up. Man, that contract year, boy. These players, man, they be playing themselves up. Get that money, boy. Because I know R.J. Barrett, man, he was looking back at that month of November where he was just playing horrible, man. He was averaging like under 10 points. It was really bad. And he was like, damn, I got to re-up my contract before the start of next season. It's about time I take over this shit. So after coming back from that Christmas, you know, relapse with, I don't know, the protocols or whatever he was going through, as we could all see, it was definitely a 180. This guy just took full control of the offense. He's like, I'm putting this on my back. I need that rookie extension signed on the dotted line before the start of next season. 
And it's not a fluke, you guys, or any type of conspiracy theory. Most NBA players perform really well in their contract years. I mean, come on. There's no need to even think about it. It's just, it is what it is. Tell them to bring me my money. Now, as we look at the addition of Kimber Walker this season, it caused a sort of confusion in the pecking order. And we've seen it affect RJ Barrett earlier on in the season. And now it seems like RJ Barrett has kind of taken full control of it because guys didn't really know where they fit in. As we've seen, there were games that were really rare where you saw Julius and RJ performing well at the same time. I mean, guys didn't really know who to trust, you know, where guys were going to be. The chemistry was just kind of off. And Kimball Walker is not really the point guard that the Knicks were kind of looking for. Kind of a point guard to set guys up. You know, for what he does well, that's not what we really need. And that's pretty much three-point shooting is what Kimball Walker is really good at at the current moment. I mean, just looking at my man's first 27 games, only three times he's gone over five assists. So that tells you a lot right there. And it seems like R.J. Barrett, once again, has taken over and taken full control of his destiny. Because once again, it's about that money. Tell him to bring me my money. Because with a lot of the inconsistencies he had, especially early on, I mean, the first week of the season, he was cold, then he was hot, and then he went cold for the whole month of November. I mean, just once again, the insertion of Kimball Walker created a confusion in that pecking order. And for some reason, with Kemba in the starting lineup, Evan gets better looking shots. That's another thing that was off, but it is what it is. But Evan, even being inserted into that lineup also, he eats up shots away from RJ and Randall. Once again, RJ, just after he came off of protocols post-Christmas, he's just taking over, man. And we're seeing him utilize that mid-range game a lot more, going into the paint, attacking the hoop, finishing well with his right hand and left. And you can tell he's paying attention to the critics because he's finishing with his weak hand a lot better now. And just one thing we can't really underestimate and we got to look at is the rise of Jean Morant. And you know that's definitely had an effect on RJ because that's part of his draft class. RJ initially was projected to be better than a lot of players in his draft class. He was overall the consensus, I believe, going into college as one of the best players. Way over Ja, way over uh, even Zion, I believe. But just seeing the rise of Ja Morant and some of the acclaim he's getting, you know that's got to be motivational for RJ to step up his game and kind of become that 1A for the Knicks. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And once again, we got to just give it up for RJ, man. We definitely do. And that's what makes him a beautiful Nick because he's kind of had a chip on his shoulder. He got overlooked for all rookie teams. And, you know, just a lot of people just didn't think he was going to live up to any type of expectation. And that's what makes him a perfect Nick. He has that chip on his shoulder and he's out there trying to prove himself. So overall, he does have a lot of those aesthetics that we love in our Nick players. And some of those things do embody the overall character and feel of New York City. All right, so Jeff Van Gundy had did a sit down where he discussed the current Knicks roster. And I usually like hearing from Jeff because he always talks about the Knicks from a team building perspective because he understands the importance of that. And he's even been on record saying that he wouldn't coach the team without him being able to construct the roster. Now, he had a few questions about the current lineup and how some of the effects that it had on some of the players coming back from last year, a.k.a. Julius Randle and others. You guys check out this segment, and every once in a while, I'll check in. Like, what's being hidden in all this is, how does a guy go from third-team All-NBA? Wasn't he third-team uh, Randle last year? Like, what's happened? Like, 
I just don't know what's happened. Like, you know, his shooting was it? What did he make such a jump that this is natural regression? But I, I don't know. Like, I think they're in trouble. Like, that's a great question he asked. What, in my opinion, that happened is that the fit with Kimball Walker is just not right. Kimball is not actually setting these guys up. He's just becoming the spot-up shooter, and every once in a while he penetrates, but his assists aren't leading up to, like, guys getting buckets. They usually normally have to make another move and then try to have a shot attempt. It's weird, but once again, Kimba, out of his first 27 games, he's only gone over five assists three times. So he's not setting guys up. He's taking up usage, so guys have less shots. And you see it trickling down even to R.J. Barrett in the beginning of the season. These guys don't really know who to trust and how this offense is really going to be going, a.k.a. flowing according to the flow of the game, along with other players. They just, everything is just not in sync right now. I know everybody raved about, like, you know, uh, their backcourt bouncing back. And again, the coverage of, of the Knicks is somewhat like the Lakers. It's it's uh, high or low. It's not very practical. I, I, might, I might call it hysterical. Yeah, um, that's, a good, that's a good word. Um, and trolling, I would call it trolling. The media, for the most part, they pretty much troll Nick fans or they pretty much down talk them or when they really have a high moment, they find a way to kind of troll them still. I'm surprised they do that, but uh, that's all particularly uh, trying to sway the fans away from James Dolan. I just think, I, I just think they're not good. Like you watch them and they're just, they're not a good team. Like. They're definitely, uh, we're definitely struggling and showing signs that we're not a good team because we're heading into February and we're still having games where we win one here, then lose one here, and then we'll win two or three, and then we'll drop the next two. That's usually the signs that, you know, we're not a good team. And particularly games against teams that we should be winning against, we're not really winning. But it's still early to judge because we see teams like the Hawks struggling and the Eastern Conference landscape has changed a lot in the past few months. Yeah, they're not, you know, anytime you're playing, like, you know, their backcourt to me is a, you know, a Fournier and Kimba, um, they were brought in there to like jumpstart an offense. And I think it was reasonable, like, I think it was reasonable, but defensive liabilities are uh, really there. They really need RJ Barrett and Randall to play a lot better. Um, their center position, um, if a guy plays five games in a row, it's 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 a good thing. Now that's very big what he just said right there. Because that center position is another reason why Randall's not even playing good. There's no real offensive threat at center. When we have Nerlens Noel down there, he's not really any threat to score. So guys kind of crowd up that area, and that's why Julius can't really get in there sometimes. He's kind of forced to take these jump shots. Once again, the Knicks, it's just the roster fit. It's just weird. But that center position and that point guard position, there's a lot of question marks there, and it's it's really got to get filled up. And Mitchell Robinson, you know, he's kind of been up and down. Once he plays five games, he kind of disappears for the sixth game, you know, ankle injury, et cetera, as we see right now, especially after coming off that game against the Cavs. They're, no, I'm just saying, like, it's true. they just, they, and so I think, you know, the one thing I think is good is, you know, Rose is out though now, but I think, them trying to put their bench back together. Um, you know, it, it obviously was good last night, but 
even against the better teams in the league. The only re the reason they won last year was not their starting lineup, but it was their bench. So putting their bench back together makes a lot of sense to me. That's going to be easier said than done. Because right now, adding Cam Reddish into that bench is very crowded. Quickly playing a lot better. Obi looking like he's coming into his own. When he goes into the lane, he is confident he's going to make that. You know, Obi looked like he wants more minutes, more usage. So things have changed. Guys' expectations and just their confidence is up. So having that bench and just trying to find minutes for all these guys, you got new guys like Grimes beginning to assert themselves. That bench is very crowded. Now you got Cam Reddish. So that's pretty much easier said than done. That's going to be a dilemma that we all going to watch Tibbs kind of handle and how he manages this lineup. I think that's their hope. But man, those guys who start, they got to earn their money. They got to play better. AKA, I would say Evan. Evan Fournier got to play better. He's got to be more consistent. He's got to show up on the defensive end. But it is what it is. Jeff Van Gundy's seeing a lot of holes in this Knicks roster, particularly leading up to that center position. That was an excellent point that he made. When these guys play more than five games, it's almost like a hurrah moment. But that's not a good thing. And that's kind of forcing Julius Randle to kind of make more moves in the perimeter as other teams make adjustments and crowd up that lane. So he's already having limited options right there. And then the point guard position is questionable because it's not like Kimba is actually setting these guys up to score. So now Julius doesn't have a center. That's really offensive threat. Limited, you know, vision from a point guard. That's not really setting guys up. That's why it's kind of clunky with him. And also, Kimball Walker has had a trickle-down effect on this starting lineup as guys don't really know the pecking order. As we see RJ now in the month of January, he's trying to insert himself to be that 1A guy. So we'll see how Tibbs and the Knicks front office kind of rebounds from these off-season mistakes because this Evan fit and this Kimba, it's just not working out. But it is what it is. It's always nice to hear a balanced perspective from Jeff Van Gundy because you know it's coming from a place of understanding. It's not coming from a malice place where, you know, most media members just want to troll the Knicks fan base or just sway them away from James Dolan. Now, after this Cam Reddish trade, it wouldn't be fair to just take a step back and look at what happened to Kevin Knox and even Frank Nilakina, as they were both pretty much failed by previous Knicks regimes. Overall, Knox was, you know, when he was drafted, the Knicks had no sense of direction. Steve Mills didn't really know what players to get. And Scott Perry overall was just, you know, he was kind of under that Steve Mills thumb where the Knicks just, they were getting anything just to get anything. Even the David Fisdale hire was kind of political as they were trying to attract free agents by getting like a likable coach. It didn't really have anything to do with schematics. I mean, the Knicks just had a lot of issues when Knox and Frank Nilkeen was drafted. With Frank, the issue was the Phil Jackson issue. Phil Jackson got an extension after the Knicks season ended. Then he was able to draft Frank Nilakina, and then he was let go a few weeks later. So Frank kind of fell into that same rut as Kevin Knox. And these type of issues tend to stem from when you just draft the next best player available. Instead of having identity and a system in which you could draft a player that fits right into it, you kind of get results like Frank Nilakina and Kevin Knox. I mean, the Knicks overall, I would say in the past like 25 years, have had issues establishing an identity and a system in place in which they can draft plays that fit that system. I mean, shit, Charlie Ward was the last rookie to ever get an extension, and that was back in 94. 
I mean, David Lee came close to it, but he just got a one-year deal. Then he got a sign-in trade to the Warriors. So that doesn't really even count. But overall, sometimes with the draft, things really come down to if you have your own identity and system, and most importantly, your positioning. Because we see some of the top players in today's NBA, they were really drafted anywhere from the 10th pick all the way to like the 15th pick. Jokic, CJ McCollum, Giannis, Donovan Mitchell. A lot of these guys were kind of drafted in the middle. Paul George. I mean, with the draft, it really comes down to luck and positioning. But at the same time, you kind of have to have your own identity and system so you could know what you're looking for. And under Steve Mills, that has not really been the direction. And even with the coaching, the David Fisdale hire, then going on to Mike Miller, they kind of failed Kevin Knox off rip and even Frank Nilekina. And let's not forget, one thing that tends to get overlooked is guys getting coached up. We see a lot of it today in the NBA. See, when you have that team identity and you have that coach that matches that, guys can get coached up. And we see it in Golden State with Jordan Poole, Gary Payton II. You even see it play out in Phoenix with Cameron Payne and Bridges. And even with the Clippers, Reggie Jackson was on his way out of the league all of a sudden, he's getting coached up by Tyron Lue. And there's other players like Terrence Mann on the Clippers. Guys can get coached up when a team has an identity and a system. And these were things that were missing when Knox and Frank Nilekina were around. Especially that being the introduction to them being in the league. That's very important. For young players, when they come into the league, that first introduction, especially if there's not vets around, it's very crucial. Because they're trying to understand their place and what regiments work and what type of work ethic to have. So there's a lot of things to plays when they first arrive, it's important for certain things to be in place. And a lot of these things like team identity that match the front office and all the way down to the coaching staff, a lot of these things were missing in those years. So it's important that we take a step back and kind of look at why some of these guys didn't work out. It's not really all on them. As we came and try to figure out what the hell was the system that was in place what was the team's identity when Knox and Frank Nilekina were around? And hopefully, with their respective new teams, these guys can kind of find their way into the league and kind of, you know, get into a stride in which they could have at least a 10 to 12-year career. So it is what it is. Now, I know some of y'all was sick watching what Spike Lee was doing when Stephen Curry had broken that three-point record that night at MSG. He was just looking like a complete fanboy. And I know a lot of you guys were disgusted. And I'm just seeing you already. I'm disgusted with you. Now, Spike Lee's been real clout chasing and real bold in the past couple of years, especially with James Dolan kind of getting some heat through the media with that Charles Oakley issue at MSG. See, James Dolan right now, he's treading very lightly on key figures that kind of represent the Knicks from, you know, guys like Spike Lee or even former players. He's treading very lightly not to get into no tips with anyone. And I think Spike Lee has used this to his advantage the past couple of years from going on Stephen A's show, talking about James Dolan, you know, kind of going against him, complaining about, you know, what entrance he can walk into. We've seen a lot of shit that's like, wow, Spike, you act like you don't go to the garden and that's Dolan's building. You know, it's kind of weird. But once again, I kind of come from this from a unique perspective because it was just pretty ironic that I went to a Knicks game and when the chase seats were kind of brand new, I seen James Dolan kind of parade Spike Lee around trying to promote those seats. 
And when I went to the game, Spike Lee was up there. They had him go all the way up to the chase seats and he was sitting there and then they showed him on the Titan Tron and he was pouting and a lot of people were laughing. And you, it was clearly obvious that James Dolan was just kind of using him to promote the seats and Spike Lee did not want to do it. But once again, due to the position James Dolan is currently in, with just the PR perspective of things, of how he treats people that kind of are ambassadors of the team, Spike Lee is leveraging that to talk his shit and to also gain some clout off of it for other business ventures, such as his brand new deal with Netflix, as he has a creative partnership. So you see this Stephen Curry situation kind of comes into play when you see it was clearly obvious that someone was recording Spike Lee recording Stephen Curry. So that person's job was literally to like show Spike Lee's fandom for Stephen Curry, as I believe Spike Lee is trying to get a documentary on Stephen Curry breaking that record. And he's trying to be the director of it. The same way Spike Lee did something with Kobe Bryant a few years back. And he also did something with the triangle offense with Phil Jackson. Spike Lee now is kind of utilizing this whole little clout chasey type era thing to get some brand deals with other companies. And Spike Lee has a long history of tying himself to certain NBA players. As we can see, you know, he was Mars Blackman. He tied himself with Michael Jordan. He has ties with Ray Allen. He did that movie with Ray. And then he has ties with Kobe Bryant doing that documentary on Kobe and just his overall thought process about basketball. The triangle offense once again with Phil Jackson. Spike has a long history of tying himself to certain NBA players to perhaps direct and do films on them. And I believe he's trying to do something with Stephen Curry, possibly to release it on Netflix. But a few days later, after him doing this whole clout chasey thing, acting like a complete fanboy of Stephen Curry, it was announced that he had a creative partnership deal with Netflix. So once again, Spike Lee is playing this whole PR game along with James Dolan. It's, 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 it's kind of crazy, but I don't really know what's going on between the two, but it's a weird relationship, sort of like Drake and Kanye. It's a very weird relationship. But this is just all to put in perspective of why he was looking like such a fanboy. Once again, if you look at the video, someone was clearly there to record Spike Lee recording Stephen Curry on his phone. And that was possibly made just to create a viral moment to get Spike Lee some attraction. And that's the name of the game. And Spike Lee's been doing it ever since James Dolan had him go through the wrong entrance. And remember in that situation, he told the guys at first take that he never spoke to James Dolan that night. And then the Knicks PR had leaked out a photo of James Dolan that same night courtside talking to Spike Lee. Once again, there's like a Drake-Kanye relationship between the two. And James Dolan is treading very lightly because he can't have a fallout with Spike Lee after that situation with Charles Oakley. That would look ugly on his part. So it is what it is. Spike Lee, a Knicks fan, acting like a fanboy for Stephen Curry. Once again, it gets interpreted wrong by the media. A lot of New York City appreciates good basketball. And the media kind of mistakes that. Fan appreciation of just great basketball for New York City fans being fans of the other team. They can't make that mistake. We just appreciate great basketball, but we're not fans of the other teams and players. So it is what it is. And last but not least, my fellow Knicks fans, I got to talk about Chris Heron's new book, Blood in the Garden. But I will be going into a more extensive detail, possibly in a call-in show with some of you fellas. Definitely sign up for my email list. As you know, you guys could chime in on a lot of like side stories and just interviews that happen because this is not my era of basketball, but 
definitely there's a lot of you guys watching this channel that it was your error and you guys can chime in and you know give your thoughts and just some of your perspectives on what went on but this is something that was really well put together and it just talks about a lot some of the blow-ups in the locker rooms some of the players arguing about who takes what shots the contracts they even talk about pat riley's fallout with the knicks oh man this is crazy and how he talked to you know the miami heat when the knicks lost the game seven against the pacers like he spoke to the heat while being on the bus ride after that game that's how much he wanted out and and just some of the details of the things that he wanted from the miami heat was insane we're talking about ownership limousine cars vacation homes some of the stuff pat riley was asking for was insane and i have a theory on you know pat riley's deal with the miami heat how it affected michael jordan and phil jackson's exit from the chicago bulls after that 1998 season see pat riley getting that really lucrative deal from the miami heat which included ownership stake and kickbacks on that stake where he can get more percentage of ownership after a certain amount of time that type of deal that pat riley got it kind of set a precedent and i feel like phil jackson felt that he accomplished more than pat did and he was possibly looking to get a similar deal that's why i believe he did not return to chicago but that's in my opinion but there's definitely a lot to check out in this book i don't want to give it all away but pat riley man he plays a lot of psychological games i'm not gonna lie but once again i'm gonna definitely do a live call-in segment just about not only this book just about the 90s knicks a lot of you guys have perspectives because you was there in real time you guys seen the interviews the little side comments the little side stories that was going on and hopefully you know we could all just come together and put these things into proper perspective and just another hint in the book man just interesting to know that pat riley by the time he sent that fax he was on a flight to greece but you know the book goes way beyond just pat riley it's just a lot of side stories with you know beefs with nick plays in the locker rooms and just a lot of sentiments man what was going on and just over on that building man this that energy back in those 90 days man that shit was real 90s basketball was something else but it is what it is once again i'm gonna let you guys check out that book and just in a future date we're just gonna come together and kind of put these things into proper perspective and let you guys chime in just stay in tune with the email list it's in the description below and once again the book is called blood in the garden it's the perfect title for the 90s knicks and speaking of the 90s knicks you guys should definitely check out my playlist page on my nba moments pivoted series in which i did an episode featuring patrick ewing and jeff van gundy as they both did a sit down talking about the 90s knicks from their experiences so once again you guys should definitely check out the channel playlist page and you could get the insight directly from the two main figures of that 90s knicks team and i'll also include the link to the video in the description below but until next time you guys stay safe in these rona streets peace